Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. Who's your friend who likes to play? Who's your friend who likes to play? His rocket makes you yell, hooray! Who's the best in every way and wants to sing a song to say? Who's your friend who likes to play? Bing bong, bing bong, this rocket makes you yell, hooray! everyone, I'm Em, and welcome to Verbal Diorama, episode 188, Inside Out. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. Happy New Year, if it's still okay to say Happy New Year, I think it is. Welcome to Verbal Diorama, whether you are a regular returning listener, whether you are a brand new listener to this podcast, thank you so much for being here, thank you so much for choosing this podcast out of all of the other movie-based podcasts that you could be listening to at the start of your 2023. I'm so happy to have you here for the history and legacy of Inside Out. And get ready because we are going to be talking about emotion. I'm not going to cry. I promise. I, well, I can't promise that. But we are going to be talking about emotions on this episode. So I'm going to try and keep it as joyful as possible. I have a really deeply personal connection to this movie. It's one of the reasons why I haven't covered it till now, mostly because I was genuinely quite scared to, but it's really important to talk about. So going to go into the history and legacy of Inside Out. This episode is the third episode of Animation Season 2023. It's following The Nightmare Before Christmas and Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest. And huge thanks to everyone who's listened to those episodes. But I just want to go into why I'm doing an animation season. There's a couple of reasons for this. The first is that animation is often dismissed as a medium that's, quote, just for children, unquote. It's not just for children, and it never, ever will be just for children. 
Animation is also often mislabeled as a genre, especially on streaming services. You know, if you go on Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever you use, there's always a section for animation. And then you'll have a section for horror and drama and comedy. Well, you know, animation can be dramatic. It can be comedic. It can also be horrific as well. But animation is just the medium. Its contents can be of any genre. And additionally, there are fewer limits on what animation can actually depict compared to live action, which is another reason why live action remakes often don't quite work as well as they do in animation. Don't even get me started on Disney live action remakes because we will be here a long time. Also, not many movie podcasts actually cover animation unless they are a specific animation-based podcast. So I like to do animation season to cover as many animated movies as possible. And something like Inside Out is the most perfect movie to cover because this is a movie for children to enjoy, but also for adults to enjoy just as much, if not more. And also specifically to Inside Out, animation is the only medium that you could use to make a movie like this about emotions. Let's be honest, the chances of a live action Inside Out, incredibly slim. And that's something to be very grateful for because if I've made it clear, I am not a fan of Disney live action remakes, apart from a handful of decent ones. I'll list a couple of decent ones off the top of my head. The Jungle Book is quite good fun. And Pete's Dragon is also very good. The others, I'm, I'm not convinced. Anyway, and this podcast, by extension me hosting this podcast, I've always taken every opportunity to express sadness on this podcast. But my journey to discovering that it was okay to be sad took a long time to become clear. And Inside Out is the perfect and simplest way of showing complex emotions, their importance, our reliance on them. But most importantly, that it's okay to not be okay. And I can't stress that enough. And it's something that I want to touch on a little bit later. Bear in mind, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a psychologist. I am not a professional in the field anything that this movie talks about. However, just from a personal point of view, I think it's really important to stress that this movie is a very simplified take on the field of emotions and the science behind emotions, but that doesn't mean that it's not valid and that it's not as authentic as it possibly can be. I can't stress enough the fact that if you're not okay at the moment, then that is absolutely okay. It's okay to not be okay. And a movie like this, could possibly help in understanding why you don't feel okay. And that's also okay. And it's also okay if it doesn't. But anyway, I digress. Let's have a listen to the trailer for Inside Out. So, how was the first day of school? It was fine, I guess. I don't know. Do you ever look at someone and wonder what is going on inside their head? Did you guys pick up on that? Sure mm -hmm. did. Something's wrong. We're gonna find out what's happening, but we'll need support. Signal the husband. <clears throat> With a nice pass over the reef, comes across center ice. Uh-oh, she's looking at us. What did she say? What? Oh, uh, sorry, sir. No one was listening. Is it garbage night? Uh, we left the toilet seat up. What? What is it, woman? What? Signal him again. Ah, so, Riley, how was school? Oh, you gotta be kidding me! For this, we gave up that Brazilian helicopter pilot? 
was great, all right? What was that? I thought you said we were gonna act casual. Riley, is everything okay? <sighs> Sir, she just rolled her eyes at us. All right, make a show of force. I don't wanna have to put the foot down. No. Not the foot. Riley, I do not like this new attitude. Oh, I'll show you attitude, old no, man. No, 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 breathe. What is your problem? Just leave me alone. Sir, reporting high levels of sass. Take it to DEFCON 2. DEFCON 2. I don't know where this disrespectful attitude came from. You want a piece of this, Pops? Yeah, well, what? Prepare the foot. Keys to safety position. Ready to launch on your command, sir. That's it. Go to your room. The foot is down. The foot is down. Yeah! Good job, gentlemen. That could have been a disaster. Well, that was a disaster. Come, fly with me, Gachinha. When a young girl named Riley is uprooted from her Midwestern lifestyle and moves to the busy and chaotic San Francisco, her emotions, anger, sadness, disgust, fear, and her most prevalent emotion, joy, start to disagree on how to deal with this dramatic change, which causes problems up in headquarters, the central living and working place for the five emotions. But when an accident involving Riley's happy memories changes her entire outlook, Joy and sadness need to find her memories and return them to headquarters before it's too late. Let's read through the cast of this movie. We have Amy Poehler as Joy, Phyllis Smith as Sadness, Bill Hader as Fear, Lewis Black as Anger, Mindy Carling as Disgust, Richard Kind as Bing Bong, Caitlin Diaz as Riley Anderson, Diane Lane as Mum, Kyle McLaughlin as Dad, and John Ratzenberger, who obviously cameos in every Pixar movie, stars in this movie as Fritz. Inside Out has a screenplay by Pete Docter, Meg LaFalve and Josh Cooley, a story by Pete Docter and Ronnie Del Carmen, and was directed by Pete Docter and co-directed by Ronnie Del Carmen. And our story starts with Pete Docter, currently four for four with his Pixar directorial attempts. He directed Monsters, Inc., up, Inside Out, and Soul. His career at Pixar started with writing Toy Story. He would also be part of the story teams on Toy Story 2, Monsters Inc., Wally, Up, Inside Out, and Soul, as well as executively produced Brave, Monsters University, Toy Story 4, Onward, Luca, Turning Red, Lightyear, and the forthcoming Elemental and Elio as part of Pixar's senior creative team. Basically, this is a guy who lives and breathes Pixar and has been pivotal to the success of the company, a company he joined when he was 21. His teacher at CalArts was the late Joe Ramft, who recommended Doctor to John Lasseter when he was scouting for talent. Doctor started working for Pixar the day after his college graduation. He made his directorial debut with Monsters, Inc. just after the birth of his first child. On a storyline inspired by the monsters, he was certain lived in his closet as a child. He'd base Carl, the main protagonist of Up, partially on himself when he wanted to escape life when it became overwhelming or irritating due to his social anxiety growing up. But when it came to Inside Out, or what would become Inside Out, Pete Doctor didn't look to his own experiences growing up. It was late 2009, and by this point he had two children. His eldest son, Nick, and his youngest, a preteen daughter named 
Ellie. He noticed Ellie had changed from a goofy, happy child to become quiet and introverted and started to question what was happening in her head. He found a real sadness at the loss of childhood innocence, outweighed by the positives of his child growing up and becoming independent. As a parent, though, how can you not be sad that your child is changing? He went to work at Pixar and started discussing it with his colleagues, spitballing ideas and came up with the concept of making a movie inside someone's head. He took the idea to John Lasseter and pitched it at the highest possible level, emotions as characters. When Lasseter was so interested in the pitch, he leant forward to find out more. Doctor knew he had something worth investing in. In its rawest form, it was a concept made for animation and it was concept Lasseter was immediately behind 100%. Then Up won the Academy Award for Animated Feature in 2010. And for all of his emotions, fear was the one most prominent in his mind because made him feel like a sham and a fraud and this was despite all his success and it just goes some way to show that regardless of your own personal successes no one is immune from feelings of self-doubt anxiety stress or depression just like riley's mind and emotions evolve in the movie so did the concept which started with a whiteboard and lists originally there were far more emotions pulling and pushing young riley around including hope envy ennui optimism and even schadenfreude in early drafts, disgust didn't exist. Instead, it was pride as the fifth emotion. At one point, 27 different emotions were drafted as characters and all of them had names. Sadness was called Misty, Anger was Ira, and Fear was Freddy. Riley's family moving from Minnesota to San Francisco, which sets off the crisis that starts her emotions on this terrifying trip out of childhood, wasn't a major story aspect in the original draft of the movie. Instead, it was Joy's refusal to let Riley grow up, and this became the primary source of the narrative tension, which changed the course of the story. The main issue with this was that Joy wasn't likeable. Riley was in middle school, but Joy was making her behave like a toddler by placing her in awkward situations, and it made you not actually want to root for the character of Joy, because Joy wasn't particularly joyful. Joy was abrupt, rude, and in this original version, nothing like the version we ended up with. And this kind of mirrors in a very funny way the story behind the original characterization of Woody in Toy Story, which is something that I talk about in episode 50 of the podcast about how when the character of Woody was conceived, he was actually not a very nice character at all. It took several further iterations of the character of Woody for him to actually become a more friendly and personable character and basically the Woody that we all now know and love. I can't imagine Toy Story being anywhere near as successful as it has been if we'd have had the original version of Woody. Because although Woody does some terrible things in that Toy Story movie, at least he learns his lesson by the end. And the character of Joy in this initial draft of Inside Out was a very similar character. Again, like Woody, Joy is flawed. She's not a perfect character. And the reason why we end up with a character who is as likeable as she is, is because of Amy Poehler coming on board, because she would actually help make Joy more likeable. Even the Joy that we get is pretty cutthroat. She's willing to abandon sadness to get back to HQ because she fully believes at that point that Riley being happy is the only possible outcome. And the idea to partner Joy with another emotion came very early in the script writing process. Mostly to make Joy likeable, but also to teach Joy something. They wanted to teach Joy that being happy can't be the only primary emotion. In those early drafts, Doctor had Joy partner with fear instead of sadness. 
And the idea was they would venture deep into Riley's mind where they collaborated to discover a way back to the central control room. But Pete Doctor really struggled with the idea because he was unsure of what Joy could possibly learn from fear or how fear could help in Joy's development. And so at this point, the project stalled because there was no way forward in the narrative. What Pete Doctor did at this point was he took a walk around the woods to clear his mind thinking that he was either going to be fired from the production or he'd have to quit because what else could he do? He was in a quandary. And it got to him thinking what he'd missed from the experience of working on this movie. He became sad thinking of all the great friends he'd had at Pixar, friends that he'd shared a range of emotions with over the years. These were people he'd had fun with, who'd annoyed him, and he'd also shared losses with. And as he was thinking about it, a train of thought came to him, so to speak when he realised that sadness was the answer. That it was sadness who Joy had to learn from. That it was sadness that partnered with Joy. And that there could be no Joy without sadness and there could be no sadness without Joy. But changing this would cause a lot of extra work. And it was a conversation he had to have with co-director Ronnie Del Carmen and producer Jonas Rivera, which was easy compared to having it with John Lasseter, Pixar president Ed Catmull, and the rest of the studio leadership. How would they react? Were they going to react with anger, disgust, fear, sadness? The primary emotion from the studio bosses was actually one of understanding because at the time at Pixar, they thought, well, if they're going to do this movie, it needed to be right. And additionally, Pixar, despite a couple of misses in the studio's history, wanted to make sure the science was as accurate as possible. When I say misses, I don't mean scientific misses, I mean the Cars franchise, which, let's be honest, isn't great. But they wanted to do as much research in the field as they could. That included enlisting Professor of Psychology and fellow podcaster, slightly better probably, Daka Keatner, PhD. Keatner had met Pete Doctor at an Association for Psychological Science conference in the mid-2000s alongside fellow Inside Out consultant Paul Ekman. Doctor was there to talk about how Pixar portray emotions in their movies. Keatner worked with production on the range of emotions, detailing originally 21 to 22 known emotions during several phone calls, email exchanges and visits to the Pixar offices on five to six occasions. He would talk about the science of emotional expression or neurophysiology of emotion. Additionally, clinical psychologist Paul Ekman was consulted, an expert in emotions and the co-discoverer of micro-expressions, and he would help establish the film's five main emotional characters, as well as answering questions from the production. Questions like, how is the stream of consciousness influenced by emotions? How do feelings affect the way we remember the past? And how would you describe an 11-year-old girl's emotional life? And the last one is hard to answer, unless you are or were an 11-year-old girl at some point. But studies show that at that age, the frequency and intensity of experiencing positive emotions start to decline rapidly. And I'm sure my parents can attest to as much. A team of neuroscientists was also enlisted by production designer Ralph Eggleston to design the locations in Riley's mind using DNA-based cues and photographs of neuronal flashes. At a time when the animation industry was predominantly made up of men, half the story team were made up of women to encourage diversity. While pitching the concept, Doctor imagined Lewis Black as anger, who, when it came to casting, Jonas Rivera called Lewis Black through the casting department at Pixar and he was the only choice for the role of anger. Bill Hader came on pretty early. He was a fan of Pixar, and they were fans of his from his work on Saturday Night Live. Hader showed up one day at Pixar, and the casting director called Jonas Rivera, saying, Bill Hader's in the atrium. Does anyone want to have coffee with him? 
Hayden was just a huge animation nerd, I hear you, Bill, and not only joined the cast, but came on to write, went through the script and started developing voices, and this is when he leaned towards Thea. The team struggled with disgust because they weren't sure whether she should be disgusting or disgusted. Once they agreed on disgusted, Mindy Carling's voice came up. Carling would come up with little alternate lines and asides and added her own vocal styling to both the character and the film. Sadness was depicted as male in the very first versions of the script, and as the film went on, they realised they had too many male characters in the movie, especially if it's taking place in a young girl's mind. And that was about the same time they landed on Phyllis Smith after seeing her in the movie Bad Teacher. Originally, Sadness was written as a bit of a crybaby, but with Phyllis Smith, they found hesitancy and everything having a question mark at the end of every sentence. Joy was one of the last parts to be cast, and she was the most difficult of any of the characters to write for because Joy had a tendency of being a little bit annoying. Because if you write someone who's always chipper and upbeat, it can become a little bit insufferable after a while. And this was where Amy Poehler came in. Because once she joined the cast, she became an asset not only as a voice actor, but also as a writer. And additionally, with the likes of Mindy Carling and Bill Hader, she actually helped write some of the script and helped shape the characterizations of all of these characters. Bing Bong, part elephant, part cat, part dolphin, and mostly made of cotton candy, wasn't based on Ellie Doctor's imaginary friend, but Pete Doctor's. So Doctor's imaginary friend was a small elephant who drove a little car. His name was Norman. Richard Kind, who'd previously voiced Bookworm in Toy Story 3, that's episode 143 of this podcast, by the way, and Van in the Cars franchise, joined to give an innocence to Bing Bong, and didn't feature any pre-promotion to keep the character of Bing Bong a secret. And then I found out that Richard Kind also voices Andrew Glauberman's father in Big Mouth. And I just can't see Marty Glauberman and Bing Bong coming from the same person. That's just impossible. And I don't want to dwell too much on Bing Bong because the character of Bing Bong always makes me cry. And always makes me feel really emotional. So, although I added Bing Bong at the start and... Look, I'm going to add Bing Bong at the end of this episode as well, because this movie would not be the same without Bing Bong. He is pretty integral to the story of Riley and of the realisation that Joy has about sadness. Bing Bong is so important to this movie and Take Her to the Moon for me will never not completely gut-wrench me. When it came to the look of each character, they're based on standard shapes and colours. So Joy is a golden star. Sadness is a tear who always feels blue. Anger is a red briquette. Disgust is based on a stalk of broccoli. Broccoli being green, unless you get those nice purple stemmed broccoli from Waitrose, they're really nice. And fear is a raw nerve. And fear became purple because purple tends to evoke fear. So let's touch on some of the science behind Inside Out. Now, as I say, I'm not a scientist. I'm very far from a scientist. But a lot of smart people have investigated the accuracy of the science behind Inside Out. So here's what I've learned about this. Implicit and explicit memory are the two basic memory systems in humans. So implicit memory is made up of unconsciously occurring processes like skeletal and emotional reactions, learning techniques and habits, as well as reflexes. Facts and events are stored in explicit memory and recalling that information requires conscious awareness. The two systems function independently, which is why you might continue to have an implicit fear even after forgetting the explicit event which made you develop that fear in the first place. When events have emotional significance, 
the two memory systems can also be linked. So joy, fear, disgust, anger, and sadness, the five emotions that are represented in Inside Out as individuals with distinct personalities, these are based on the work of American psychologist Robert Plutchik, who argued that there are eight primary emotions that may be organized on a wheel with pairs of opposites served as the basis for these. So these include opposites such as joy and sadness, anger and fear, trust and disgust, and anticipation and surprise. Because it's founded on Charles Darwin's belief that an animal's outer expressions reflect feelings that help them survive, Plutchik dubbed this idea a psycho-evolutionary synthesis. And as stated in the beginning of Inside Out, revulsion keeps you from poisoning yourself, though not with broccoli because it's very good for you. Whereas fear keeps you from placing yourself in danger. In nature, fear is the most important emotion, despite joy and sadness being the film's two main characters. And this is because natural selection favours animals that can recognise a possible threat because they run the risk of being killed if they can't. And this importance of fear was one of the reasons it was originally going to be one of the main characters. Inside Out also shows that the association between explicit events and implicit emotions isn't permanent, as illustrated whenever the character of sadness touches a memory and it changes the colour of it from yellow to blue, making it go from a joyful memory to a sad memory, because it is possible that a joyful memory can become sad over time. Inside Out's ending, when Joy realises that Riley's greatest moment came after her team losing a crucial hockey game, illustrates how unreliable human memory is. Emotions, especially unpleasant ones like grief, are important for coping with the ups and downs of life, but memory isn't completely reliable. We can't replay orbs like they are DVDs, but the movie is correct in that sleep is an important process for learning and storing memories. And although there isn't a biological basis for concepts like core memory or islands of personality, Inside Out has succeeded in teaching a generation of children and adults how memory works in its own way. It's as accurate as the science in a Pixar movie can be because it still needs to be entertaining, but it's more accurate than it actually needs to be. From being greenlit in October 2009, Inside Out would start production in 2012 and conclude production in May 2015 with the animation taking a year and a half to complete. 48 animators, 350 artists and technicians were involved in the production of Inside Out, with the abstract sequence having its own animation team. Just making the character of Joy alone took three years. Her aura, which was based on pinwheels, champagne and sparklers, took about eight months and was originally meant for Joy alone, as she was the primary emotion. When John Lasseter saw the effect it had on the character of Joy, he requested all the emotions have a similar effervescent luminosity, which Ralph Eggleston described as the core technical staff just hitting the ground and the budget falling through the roof. While Joy literally sparkles with light, the other emotions have their own versions of this aura, such as anger having prickles on his skin as his anger flares up. But the extra effort was worth it because it makes each character feel more fluid. I also want to touch on something this movie does touch on that's seemingly so innocent. It's almost innocuous, but actually is a vitally important part of Riley's story. And that is toxic positivity. Because we all want to be happy. We strive for it. We strive for it in our home lives, relationships, and at work. Happiness is the end game for us all. But there's an issue with forced or toxic positivity. The someone pretending to be positive can make them happy. And here's the thing, I am an overwhelmingly positive person. I always look on the bright side. I'm 
very much a glass half full kind of gal. And I do believe in the power of positive thought. It was that positive thought that got this podcast made in the first place. But I'm also guilty masking sadness with faux happiness and not being authentic about my true feelings so as not to upset someone else or repressing my emotional responses when it's not seen as positive. And I think we're all guilty of that. And verbal diorama has been used as an outlet for my emotions a few times in the past, mostly for happiness, it has to be said, but I've also shown very obvious sadness on this podcast. Most recently in March of last year, in the episode that I did on Deep Blue Sea, and it is an episode dedicated to my late best friend and feline producer of this podcast, Jess. Now she's the meow that you hear at the end of every episode. And that was an episode that I did in her honour to dedicate to her. And it was an incredibly difficult episode to do because it was an incredibly emotional time to go through her loss and to be grieving and to also be doing a podcast at the same time. And even I'll admit, it's pretty weird to hear a movie podcast specifically being that emotional. And I accept that that's an anomaly. I accept that I am an anomaly. But to me, it's important to show that there is an authentic, genuine human being at the heart of this podcast. The thing that I want to mention specific in this movie that exemplifies this idea of toxic positivity is when Riley's mother speaks to her. Now, Riley's mum has every genuine intention when she does this, but her comment, and I quote, is, your dad's under a lot of pressure, but if you and I can keep smiling, it would be a big help. We can do that for him, right? And this is something that we're all guilty of, of either masking our own emotions for other people or encouraging others, especially children, to do the same. And this is toxic positivity. This isn't to shame parents who just want their children to be happy, but we also need to cultivate a culture that accepts that other emotions exist. It's a really fine balance because you want your kids to smile and be grateful for that pair of socks that grandma bought them for their birthday, but you also want them to be honest and to tell the truth. Just not enough truth to hurt grandma. And in my mind, I see that we send kids mixed signals a lot of the time. And it's no wonder that many of us grow up learning to suppress emotional response. Riley thinks that by showing sadness, she's going to hurt her parents. But by the end of the movie, showing sadness is what truly connects them all. And it gives her a chance to actually be a kid again. It's also interesting to note that Riley's mum's primary emotion is sadness, whereas her dad's primary emotion is anger. And I don't think that's because her mum is permanently sad. I think that that's the fact that her mum's primary focus is empathy. And I don't think you get empathy without sadness. Or maybe she's just constantly sad because of that Brazilian helicopter pilot that she didn't go off with. Which brings me very neatly to my obligatory Keanu reference of this episode. So this is a part of the podcast where I try to link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves because... He's genuinely the best of men. All men, including Riley's dad, should aim to be as amazing as Keanu Reeves. And the obligatory Keanu reference for this episode is simply that Keanu is the Brazilian helicopter pilot of my dreams. And I think that everyone, everyone has that one person in their mind, the Brazilian helicopter pilot, that one person they met once upon a time that you think, with hindsight, yeah, that was the person. But... It wasn't meant to be, and that person is long gone. Maybe you've ended up with someone else, or maybe you haven't, but that you're always constantly thinking of what could have been with that Brazilian helicopter pilot. And for me, that is Keanu Reeves. 
When it came to the music of Inside Out, this was the second collaboration between Pete Docter and Michael Giacchino after Up. And Giacchino wanted a more emotional and personal score for Inside Out based on his personal experiences of parenthood. Giacchino started working on the score in January 2015 and completed his work by May 2015. And he was simultaneously working on this movie and Tomorrowland and Jurassic World at the same time. So Inside Out debuted out of competition at the 68th Cannes Film Festival on the 18th of May 2015, where it received an eight-minute standing ovation. This was followed by its premiere on the 16th of June 2015 at the El Capitan Theatre in Los Angeles. And when it did release wide on the 19th of June 2015, it ranked number two in its week of release against aforementioned Jurassic World, which was at number one. It would hit the number one spot in its second week and stayed there for a further week until Minions took the top spot in Inside Out's fourth week. And I don't need to tell you that this movie was wildly successful financially. On a budget of $175 million, Inside Out grossed $356.9 million in the US and $501.9 million internationally for a worldwide total gross of $858.8 million. It's also wildly successful critically as well. It is Pixar's fourth most critically acclaimed movie on Rotten Tomatoes with a score of 98%. Only Finding Nemo, Toy Story and Toy Story 2 are ranked higher. And this 98% score is shared between Inside Out, Toy Story 3 and Up. It has almost universal praise for its script, plot, subject matter and performances. And it appeared on many critics end of year lists for 2015. And at the 88th Academy Awards, Inside Out received a nomination for Best Original Screenplay and it also won Best Animated Feature. Inside Out's other nominations included 14 Annie Awards, which it won 10, two BAFTA Awards, which it won for Best Animated Film, three Critics' Choice Movie Awards, winning one and winning a Golden Globe for Best Animated Feature. Inside Out was followed by a short in 2015 called Riley's First Date which is also available on Disney Plus, should you wish to watch it. It's a sweet little short movie about, coincidentally, Riley's first date and the young man that her dad sits with and meets. It's very funny. I enjoyed it a lot. Inside Out 2 was announced in 2020 and it's coming out in 2024. It's going to be following a teenage Riley with a new set of personified emotions, which, as someone who was once a teenage girl, should be quite interesting. We did see the puberty button at the end of the movie and I'm kind of hoping they're going to go along the same route as Turning Red, but obviously not quite Turning Red because we don't need it to be Turning Red. But Turning Red was great at being a metaphor for periods. And I do hope we get some of that as well in Inside Out 2, but I'm looking forward to what Pixar can give us with a teenage version of Riley. But Inside Out has not been without its controversies because... A lawsuit from parent and child development specialist Denise Daniels was filed in 2017 and she claimed that Pixar infringed on her idea for a children's programme called The Moodsters that she'd actually pitched consistently to Disney between 2005 and 2009. Daniels claimed she had an implied contract with Disney and was owed merchandise revenue from Inside Out. A Disney spokesperson refuted this and stated that Inside Out was an original Pixar creation Nevertheless, this went to court and a judge ruled to dismiss Daniel's claim in 2020. Judge Margaret McKeown stated that Daniel's characters were not sufficiently distinct to warrant copyright protection. Two other lawsuits by author Carla J. Masterson and Damon Paul Shane 
followed in 2018 and 2021, respectively. Masterson on infringing her books, What's on the Other Side of the Rainbow and The Secret of the Golden Mirror, and Paul Shane on his short film, also called Inside Out, which he wrote in 1999 and claimed it's strikingly similar to Pixar's movie. The outcomes to Masterson's and Paul Shane's lawsuit have not been made public, though. There's no easy way to segue, but let's move on from lawsuits to what people think of this movie. So I like to find out what people think on social media. I ask the patrons of this podcast. I also ask on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, etc., etc. And we're going to start with the patrons. And we're going to start with perennial commenter Andy. And Andy says, Throughout the entirety of over 25 years of Pixar films, none may be as perfect as Inside Out. From its stellar casting that draws the best from everyone involved, to its amazing and often overlooked Michael Giacchino score, to its message that emotions are complex and that there will be times when even the happiest of moments will bring up sad feelings, there's nothing I would change about this movie. My personal favourite Pixar film and one I need to revisit again sometime soon. We also have a patron comment from Mike. He is Geek Salad co-host who says, This movie truly exemplifies why Pixar is considered one of the best studios for telling a story for all ages. Who else would have taken a concept like two personified emotions on an adventure in a pre-teens mental landscape and make it into a touching and truly heartfelt story of loneliness and growing up? Anyone who believes that animation is only for kids' movies has never seen this movie. What kids' movies would spend time exploring abstract thought? And Andy and Mike, they are the hosts of, or two of the hosts of the podcast Geek Salad. I like to give patrons podcasts a bit of a plug. So if you enjoy anything and everything geeky, then you need to listen to Geek Salad. They have over 200 episodes of movies, music, TV shows, games, books, anything, everything, you name it, they've probably covered it. And I've even been on their podcast a couple of times as well. So you might hear me pop up on several occasions, but I'll put some information in the show notes for Geek Salad. We also have a patron comment from Brett who says, What to say about a film, about emotions, other than it hits all of your emotions. The visuals, the story and the voice performances are all perfect along with the message of the film which tells us it's okay to show your emotions and to be upset when drastic changes happen in your life. It's a beautiful and touching film and top tier Pixar. And Brett also has a podcast of his own. It's called The Dissert That Film and it basically does exactly what it says on the tin. They dissect the good, the bad, and the ugly. They review movies every week. It's Brett, Dan, and Angela. And you should listen to them for movie retrospectives, new releases, and also TV show discussions as well. I'll put information for dissect that film in the show notes too. And the final patron comment comes from Brendan, who says, Inside Out isn't just a brilliant film with gorgeous animation, humour, and arguably the zenith of Pixar's thematic journeys to that point. It's also an invaluable tool for teaching emotional intelligence to children and their parents. Simply one of the best to ever do it. Let's move on from the patrons and we're going to move over to Twitter. And we're going to start with at and at why not pod who said, I loved it and found it genuinely emotional, both as a parent and someone who remembers feeling the way Riley does and not understanding how to express that as a child. As with the best Pixar films, it also balances the humour perfectly. And Lewis Black as Anger is perfectly cast. At Harley Mumford says, A modern classic based on an amazing concept. I'm not ashamed to say this movie absolutely destroys me every time I watch it. Pixar know how to hit you in the fields. Hard. At Bits of Time Media said, 
My daughter and I absolutely loved it when it came out. Fantastic movie. At Danny Brown CA said, Oh man, this movie gives me all the feels. Probably one of the best depictions of the human psyche. Perfectly cast, voiced and animated. At Eric aka Movie Fan says, It was emotionally impactful, beautifully imaginative, hit close to home and I liked it, but I don't have much of a desire to see it again for some reason. I think it's one of those movies that stuck with me, but I could only watch it once or I'm a wuss because of the heavy feels. At German 3 Music said, Very good and necessary critique of toxic positivity. I liked it very much. At Next to the Isle said, Brilliant film, sentimental but full of heart and personality. At DW Lundberg said, A top five Pixar for me and as clear an indicator as any that when a company prioritises imagination over IP, they're unbeatable. There are images and ideas here that can stand toe-to-toe with Miyazaki and classic Disney. At CM Waters 789 said, As someone who's been forced to move to four different states, it's one of the most relatable films I've ever seen. At Jay Biss said, One of my absolute favourite animated films. Incredibly emotional, sentimental for my daughter and I. We cried during our first viewing. Bing bog forever in our hearts. And at Dr. Gaines said, This is what I think about this very important film. And then added a link. TLDR, they really liked it. Moving over to Instagram, at SaucyLassie76 said, The first time I saw this film, I thought it was such a beautiful representation of the journey we go through as we grow up and change. Our emotions take us on such a wild roller coaster ride throughout our lives, but that ride seems that much bigger during puberty. I like the creation of new core memories made of combined emotions that we get at the end of the film. This is a reminder that we should experience our emotions and not ignore them. I enjoy this film so much. And SP underscore film viewers said, A very emotionally charged movie, particularly where Bing Bong and Joy breaking down is concerned. A fantastic voice cast overall. And Nikolai's Kitchen said, Bing Bong sacrificing himself so that Joy can escape is literally one of the most emotionally devastating things I've seen in a film. Easily Pixar's best film for me with an incredible cast. Amy Poehler as Joy is the most perfect casting ever done. At Friendly Sparpod said, This movie has such a talented cast and it's such an important movie for kids to be exposed to in terms of dealing with emotions. And I'm still crying over Bing Bong. Moving up to Facebook, we have Mark who said, Is this the perfect example of how animation goes beyond a children's film? This wouldn't work in live action, but the story is simply brilliantly crafted. Harry and me loved this one at the cinema. As a parent, the worries are portrayed in showing how children cope with situations is also a brilliant way to help kids understand things too. Just a work of art. And thank you so much to everyone for the amazing comments on Inside Out, to the patrons and to everyone on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. You go some way to helping me explain the complex emotions in this movie and just how important this movie actually is to so many people. It didn't just affect me. It affected millions of people. And it is so important that we actually sit down with children and put this movie on. And if it goes some way to help them not suppress their emotions, then it's doing its job. And yeah, bing bong forever. I'm still crying over bing bong too. But a huge thanks to you all. Thank you so much for your comments on Inside Out. And as I said, Inside Out genuinely changed something in me when I saw it for the first time. It spoke to me in a way that not many movies do or can. In its purest and rawest form, it's entertaining, colourful, fun. It's about growing up. But to me, it's way more than that. 
Not only did it help me understand the importance of sadness, an emotion I still struggle to show completely to this day, despite all the episodes of this podcast that I have cried on. It also helped me understand my own personal struggles with my mental health. And mental health is very complex. It's not one size fits all. There's never one explanation for mental health problems because everyone experiences these things differently. But this podcast itself came after a period of depression for me. And I always likened it to feeling zombified, like I had no control over my emotions or my mind. And so not only did this movie click with me on the importance of letting sadness take control, but also the visual representation of the console turning grey and inoperable. That was how it felt for me when I had a particularly depressive episode. And it's not a perfect metaphor for depression, because as I said, we can't and we shouldn't trivialise mental health. But to me, the depiction in this movie made total sense because my console went grey. I had no control, I had no emotional response, and at my very worst, I was just an empty shell of a human being because my depression took hold and I didn't know how to fix it and I didn't know what to do. Eventually, I did start to regain a little control, my depressive state started to subside, and again, that is not everyone's experience and clinical depression is a real thing. I did not have clinical depression, it was just a period of depression, it was not long-term clinical depression. But the fact this movie covers that and actually tries to depict it, treats it with respect and does its best not to trivialise it, despite this being an animated movie that's suitable for families, is remarkable to me. The fact that it can take five core emotions and make you completely understand how they could relate to you and to your situation. And like in real life, I think, as joyful as Joy is as a character, she's also deeply flawed. And I think happiness in reality is also deeply flawed too. In the movie, Joy recognises the value of sadness and her capacity to deepen and enrich life experiences in a manner that Joy simply can't. And I'm not a parent, but I understand how, as a parent, you could be hypervigilant, you could be hyperprotective, and you don't want your child to fail. You want your child to be happy. And Joy realises that she only has one option, and that is to occasionally let the other emotions take control. And the thing that I love most about this movie is that Joy steps aside of her own volition. She's not overthrown of command. Joy makes the decision for Riley because she knows what's best for Riley at that point. In experiencing her own sadness at the loss of Bing Bong and the revelation that sadness was the only one who could truly empathise with Bing Bong, she now realises that constant happiness is never the answer. When Riley confesses to her parents her despair and sadness, it's an echo of the Bing Bong scene with sadness in charge. She's finally able to be truly comforted and for a moment in her parents' arms, she becomes a little girl again. And the lesson of Inside Out is that you can't have joy without sadness. You can't have love without loss or change without pain. And that that's okay. Because going back to the start, it's okay to not be okay. And you never need to suppress emotion with the people who truly love you because they will continue to love you regardless. Inside Out is beautiful, imaginative, witty and astute. The best animated movies open our minds to new stories and unimaginable possibilities. This is a movie that needs the skills and the steady hands of Pete Doctor and Ronnie Del Carmen to become one of Pixar's single great standalone experiences. The fact that there's a sequel coming does not take away from that. 
And this came out during a period where Pixar was focusing on sequels. So we had Cars 2, Monsters University. Okay, it's prequel, but you know what I mean. Finding Dory, Cars 3, and also movies that didn't seem to connect with audiences as much as this did or Up did or Toy Story did or Coco did. And that was movies like Brave and The Good Dinosaur. But coming out during that period seems to add to Inside Out's gloriousness because it is truly a high point in that early 2010s period. This was actually a movie that I rewatched in a double with Coco. So this was a doubly emotional day for me watching these two movies back to back. Inside Out is a coming of age movie that deconstructs coming of age, uses its simplification to its advantage when it comes to the science of emotions. And this movie may not contain profanity, sex or drugs, but it's squarely looking at both adults and the children in the audience and giving a story that both can appreciate. And that is something that is very rare for any movie to accomplish. Speaking of profanity, the next movie in animation season would take that concept and run with it. But more on that in a little bit. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Inside Out. If you have enjoyed this episode and you want to help this podcast to grow and you want to support this podcast, firstly, just by listening to this episode, you are supporting this podcast. So thank you so much for your ears and your time. I truly appreciate it. But if you have enjoyed this episode and you want to recommend it to a friend or family member, then feel free. You can also retweet or like posts on social media. You can find me at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd, Hive and Mastodon, if you so wish. And if you've really, really enjoyed this episode and you want to leave a five-star review, you can do so wherever you found this podcast. So Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Spotify, literally anywhere you can rate a review, pop a five stars on this podcast. It would be so appreciated. And if you like this episode on Inside Out, and you might like some of the episodes that I've done on some other Pixar movies. Now, I seem to purely focus on top-tier Pixar for some reason, but I've also not covered that many Pixar movies in the lifetime of this podcast. So I'm just going to list them all. So episode 75 on Coco. Coco, as I said, I watched with this movie just for the double emotional hit of Miguel and Mama Coco singing Remember Me at the end of Coco, going straight then into Inside Out and the death of Bing Bong. So. Yeah, that was uh, an emotional afternoon for me. I adore Coco. It is genuinely one of Pixar's greatest achievements. It's visually splendid. It's a Pixar movie that actually teaches us something about a different culture, which, as a white British person, we don't really get to learn about Latinx culture very often. So to learn about Dia de los Muertos was honestly one of my favorite things about Coco is the whole day of the dead but also it's just such a wonderful touching story about the importance of family and the importance of music as well talk about people who are no longer here and put their picture up on the ofrenda because it's important they can then pass over I have done all of the Toy Story movies episode 50 episode 112 episode 143 and episode 144 the whole Toy Story quadrilogy. Toy Story is one of the most perfect trilogies that have ever existed. And then Toy Story 4 came along. I'm really not a fan of Toy Story 4, apart from Keanu Reeves, because Duke Kaboom is literally the greatest Toy Story character that's ever existed. But I'm such a fan of Toy Story. How could I not do the entire Toy Story trilogy? It's one of my greatest achievements as a podcaster, I think, to say that I've done all of the Toy Story movies. 
And then way back in the day, I did an episode on The Incredibles, which is episode 30. The Incredibles is still my favorite Pixar movie. I know it's not everyone's favorite Pixar movie, but I adore it so much. It's frenetic and it's fun and it's paced perfectly. And the voice acting is great and the animation is superb. Give me feedback on my recommendations. Did I get it right? Did I miss any? Well, I didn't because they're the only Pixar movies that I've done. So the next episode, I did tease it with profanity. There's many animated movies that have a lot of swears. But this movie has an incredible amount of swears. How I'm going to make this episode family friendly, I have no idea. But I promised that I would do it last year. When I did an episode on Team America World Police, I mentioned South Park. And I specifically mentioned South Park, Bigger, Longer and Uncut. And so I'm doing an episode on South Park, Bigger, Longer and Uncut. The feature-length South Park movie. A movie so full of profanity, it caused massive disputes with Matt Stone and Trey Parker at the Motion Picture Association of America. The MPAA repeatedly gave it an NC-17 rating in the US. But more on that story, next episode. As I said, just by listening, you're supporting this podcast. Thank you for that. But if you do want to help support this podcast financially, you can sign up to verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon and you can join the amazing patrons of Verbal Diorama. Huge thanks as always to Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Vern, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Michael, Scott, Brendan, Ian, Lisa, Sam, Will, Jack, Dave, Chris, Stuart, Sonny, Drew, Nicholas, Zoe, Kev, Pete, Heather, Danny, Ali, Tyler, Stu, and Brett. Literally the only emotion that I feel when I think of the patrons is just pure joy. They are just the purest, joyful, joyous people that exist on the planet because they support this podcast. So thank you so much, patrons. I have a merch store. It's verbaldiorama.com slash merch. You can also get in touch with me by emailing verbaldiorama at gmail.com. You can say hi, you can give me feedback if you want, or you can find my work, my writing work at filmstories.co.uk. You can buy copies of the magazine that I write for as well. But I've got to do my hand finally. And this is going to be hard because I started the episode with Bing Bong. And so I feel like I need to end the episode with Bing Bong. And... Yeah. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. Whew. And finally. Come on, Joy, one more time. I got a feeling about this one. Take her to the moon for me, okay? Oh. 
I'll try, Bing Bong. I promise. Bye. Blue vision of